Hi, friends. Welcome to God Stories. I am your host, Cassie, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. This is where I have on my friends, both new and old, to share their God stories. From the big, aha, miraculous, life-changing moments to the ordinary, everyday moments that are oftentimes the very extraordinary, life-changing ones. My hope is that you're encouraged. My hope is that you're sometimes challenged. My hope is that you feel welcome and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Gary, welcome to God Stories. Hi, Cass. It's so good to be here with you. (laughs) Oh, it's so good to be here with you. I'm sitting at the same table when I sat down with your husband, Bobby, and had him on the podcast. And now I'm so excited to get to sit down with you. Gary and I were just catching up a bit. Um, She's a dear friend, and I haven't seen her in a while. And Mm -hmm. I'm just so blessed and grateful to be here and to get to hear your story. So I'm really glad you said yes to being on. Oh, Cass, you know I'd do anything for you, girl. <laughs> I'm so crazy about you, and I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. It's amazing. Thank so you. it's a pleasure. Well, for our listeners, you've heard Bobby, her husband, you've heard her daughter, Allie, and now you get to hear the queen herself that Bobby talked about, Gary. Would you go <laughs> ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Oh, sure. My name is Gary. Yes, it is a boy's name, I realize. G-A-R-I. Gary Meacham. And um, I've known you, Cassie, for a long while. I think we first got to know each other one of the very first trips we took to Uganda yes. when the vine was just beginning. And so uh, we have so much history together. But yes. I am a, a writer and a speaker and a nonprofit leader and just mainly a lover of, of Jesus. I'm a wife, a mother, and have some grand lambs uh-huh. as well. So we got a full just a full life and just really love love what God's done. Yeah, he's done so many amazing things, even in just the time that you and I have known each other. Like you said, that trip, that first trip was kind of the visionary trip for the vine to see what the needs were in Kamuli. And now here we are, you have your own land, a baby home that was just built almost it's yeah. still being built, right? Yeah, yeah. It should be done in, in within this next month, you this know. And um, yeah, we have... We're in 13 villages and have, you know, so many children that we sponsor. And also uh, we run a preschool and a vocational school for sewing. Just a lot of amazing things that have just overwhelmed us uh, yeah. as we watch God's love and care for for so many people across the globe. It's and amazing. Gary, if you've heard this story at all, she did not set out to do this. God really put it in your lap and... It's really cool how uh, you've been obedient and saying yes to him and just how he's grown it is really cool. But today I'm having you share your testimony, really. Um, So we can jump right in if you want to just share your story, if you could kind of go back to before you knew Jesus and what life was like and then how you got to know him and fall in love with him. I would love that. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. It's my favorite thing to talk about. I know you could probably say my story as well as I can, Cass. You've heard it a zillion times, but I never get tired of sharing it. Um, You know, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up knowing about Jesus um, or any of those wonderful things, really. I grew up in a really rough home. My dad was really the youngest bank president in Colorado at age 33, he was a bank president of his own and he was so charismatic. I mean, he could walk into a room and just 
own the room, work the room, own it. He was handsome and funny and, and just personable. And the problem was he was what we would call a weekend alcoholic. He would start drinking on a Friday and stumble home on Sunday, not really knowing where he was all weekend long. And so my mom had just basically had enough. I was nine, my little sister was six, and my little brother was three at the time. And one night, she found out that there was a party up at the bank that she hadn't been invited to. So she drove up to the bank, and she found my dad in the car with a 19-year-old girl that night. And she knocked on the window and said, our marriage is done. I'm finished. So that very night, on a windy road between Boulder, Colorado and Denver, my dad's car rolled off the road several times. It careened into kind of a ditch and a milkman found him five in the morning, strewn over the front and back seat, paralyzed from the neck down. And no one knows if he was just so drunk that he drove off the road, you know, falling asleep or if he was trying to take his life that night. But whatever the case was from that night on, our life was horribly changed. And he was in ICU for six months. And then he moved to Craig Rehab Center, one of the best rehab centers in the country. So for a year, he was really in a hospital. And then he came home. And that's when all hell broke loose. My mom started drinking just to handle the pain of this life, you know, and she just really had no skill set. And who does for suddenly being a nurse to a paralyzed man in a bed in your living room with three small kids? And so really, it was at age nine or 10 that I realized I have to raise my siblings. This is my job. And essentially, it felt almost like raising my parents too, because My dad just shut down. He wouldn't speak. He wouldn't talk. He barely ate. It was as if he went into almost like a vegetable state, although he wasn't a vegetable. But my mom was drinking so heavily. And there were times, Cass, where, you know, she would beat him and and just, oh, wow. I mean, just her rage. And you witnessed all of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just got in the middle of all of it. And then her rage would often turn on me. I was the oldest. I look like my dad. I remind her of my dad. My, I'm named after my dad. <clears throat> so I just felt like my childhood was a strange dichotomy. On the one hand, I got really good at acting like things were okay to the outside world. I had some good friends and you know, I loved my school in high school. I was a cheerleader. I loved all that, but no one knew what was happening in my home. No one knew. And I made sure they didn't. It was like a vault. And I think that this life, uh, this home life, um, just really set me up for some trauma as I left home. Because I thought, I don't know, Cass, maybe some of your listeners can relate to this, but I thought I could leave my home in Colorado, go to college, and get away from all my baggage. But hey, when you leave, your baggage still follows you, (laughs) unless you deal with it or know how to deal with it. And So even going away to college, I tried to get as far away from my family as I could, thinking that that would really fill all the holes and the gaping wounds in my life. But I just brought all that pain with me. And so 
I remember, I think it, it was actually my f- freshman year of college. Actually, I started to see some of these tendencies in high school, but I was very active. It didn't catch up with me. But my freshman year, I remember just starting to binge eat and I could not stop eating. I would eat till I was sick physically, not bulimic, but sick, just needing to expel the food because my body literally could not handle anymore. They call it being food drunk. Um, I just was so obsessive and compulsive about eating and I couldn't just eat one of something. It was packages and packages of things. It was so bizarre. And I got bigger and bigger and bigger. I was so big. I didn't fit in any clothes. I was miserable. I hated the way I looked. I felt so bad about myself. And I continued in that behavior for a couple of years. And then it was um, into my, my junior year that I started dieting. And actually, I needed to lose weight. Dieting was in the initial stages, a good step. But I had tried a million diets and always failed at them. You know how you do. Like you start, stop, stop, start, stop, and end up worse than you were before you started. So I knew all about dieting, but something in me changed this particular year. I knew that I was serious and I started to be very restrictive in what I ate and pounds started to come off. And that became a new power to me Um, boys started to be very interested in me and I loved the feeling of losing weight. It was just my favorite thing to feel like I was starving or very hungry. And so what began as a healthy thing then turned into another compulsion. And really it was the worst compulsion deep, deep in the throes of anorexia. I saw no way out. And as my body at one point started to put on a little bit of extra needed weight. I mean, I was rail thin. And I, during this time, doctors later told me it was due to malnutrition. I ended up with cysts all over my face. And everything I had put my confidence in, which was my looks, seemed to be just gone. And I felt no way out of this prison. I just would look in the mirror and want to scratch the mirror down. I just hated myself and I hated the way I looked. I hated everything about myself. And so I remember waking up one morning, I'd had three consecutive nights of nightmares. And I woke up and I just said, this is it. This is the day that I'm going to take my life. I see no way out. Now, the dichotomy of that was that I was dating a star baseball player in college, Bobby Meacham. And of course, I never let him or anyone know about my struggles internally, of course, because that was the way I handled life, period. I would hide it like a vault. I just keep it all quiet and show a good exterior. So he didn't even know about the eating disorder, anything? Nothing. Okay. He knew nothing. He did, when he first met me, I was really thin and felt so good about myself He did start to see some things in my body change. He did see my face completely broken out. But you know, even to this day, Cassie, Bobby Meacham, that man is so amazing. He says to me, even to this day, he's like, babe, I never saw a change in you. I always thought you were so beautiful. Let me tell you, I was not so beautiful. I remember what that looked like with those cysts. Anyway, this particular morning, I got up and I just was like, I'm done. I saw no way out. And really the enemy, 
the devil. You know, when people struggle with suicidal thoughts, that is no one but the devil who makes you feel like you have no hope. There's no way out of your situation. There's no tomorrow. And so as I planned that day, how I was going to take my life, as God would have it, my roommates were gone. Nobody was in the apartment. And I went into one of my roommate's rooms, and she had this picture of Jesus on the wall. And you've probably heard me say this, Cass. It's my favorite picture of Jesus. His hair is like blow-dried back. He's got this amazing warm smile. We call that picture Southern California Jesus because I was at San Diego State (laughs) University. But this picture of Jesus, I sat there and I looked at it and I said, whoever you are, Jesus, if you're real, make yourself known to me. You're the last thing I know to try. And in that moment, I never heard the word saved, salvation. I never heard those words. I knew nothing about words like that. But in that moment, Jesus himself touched my life. And within minutes, I felt like weights were coming off my shoulders. I'd never had a desire to look at a Bible. I didn't even know really that I owned one. I think I threw one in a trunk when I traveled to move out to school. And I dug through that trunk and I found the Bible and I found a scripture that talked about what had just happened to me. And it said, this is the gift of God, so no man can boast. I called Bobby up. I was bawling, you know, and I said, can you get over here? And he zoomed over. He thought I was going to break up with him. He was so scared. And when he walked in the door, I said, I just prayed to Jesus. And he was like, that's it? You know, because he didn't know the Lord at the time either. And so uh, the only thing I knew to say to him, Cass, was, take me to a priest. I don't know why I said that. I didn't know any priest. I think I heard it in a movie or something. I was like, take me to a priest. So he took me on campus to the priest at San Diego State. And thankfully, it was kind of a young, hip guy. And he, you know, he, he invited me in and I explained to him all the pain of my life. And that that very day, hours before I asked Jesus, in my life, are you real? And I, I felt like something happened. And he was wise enough to say something did happen. He said, you've just given your life to the Lord. You've just become a Christian. And what's so funny about it, Cass, I remember this so well, is within the time I sat with that priest, I started to ask him about his problems, his desires, his dreams. By the time I walked out of his home, I had my arm around the priest shoulders. And I'm like, Jesus is enough. He can do this for you. I was already an evangelist. (laughs) I've known the Lord all of like an hour, 60 minutes, and I'm already an evangelist. But that was the beginning. And little did I know that God was going to just take over my life in such an amazing way. And you know, not everybody grows up in churches or has that um, knowledge. But I'm just here to say that Jesus is so real. He's so alive. He's so in love with us. And he will find us. He will find a way to make himself known to us. I love that he, like you said, the roommates weren't there. And he had you go to that priest and everything. It was like he set it up. He knew that that would happen. Yeah. And I just love that. Did Bobby become a believer shortly after you? Yeah, he did. It was a little later for him because, you know, he was about to be a first-round draft pick. So I came to know the Lord in about April of that year. And then he went on to uh, finish our junior year and go into the draft. And he was already touted as a huge star. And so, you know, he kind of went into this baseball life uh, higher than 
higher than life, you know, this giant man in all the ESPN Sports Illustrated, this kind of thing. And so it was really his first season in pro ball that he bombed. I mean, he was terrible. He could not hit a ball. And uh, I was home in Colorado working at a health club, like growing with a Christian community. And here he is in minor league ball, miserable, doing horribly, you know, the big star. And God really had it orchestrated that way on purpose because Bobby needed to need God. And he started to go to a Bible study um, late in the season. And I think perhaps in Instructional League, which is in the fall after his first season was over. And that's where he really started to change. He knew I had changed. He knew something drastic had happened to me. I'm not, we're not talking about religion. We we're talking about an absolute life change. He knew that. And it, I think it scared him in some ways because he thought he knew me. He thought he knew everything about me. We were talking about marriage. All of a sudden, I'm this crazy Jesus girl. And he's like, what the blaze happened to the old Gary? You know. But going to this Bible study himself without me being around, God had him alone. God had him in a humble place of humility where he needed God. And he, he then gave his life to the Lord um, within his first year of pro ball. Okay, so I want to ask you, going back to you accepted the Lord, did your eating disorder and all of that go away instantly, or was it kind of a process you worked out? That's such a good question, Cass. So the desire to take my life and feel so dark and miserable from it, never, ever, the minute I asked Jesus in, was never present after that moment. But I will say to you that I wasn't really free from all of that until after the birth of my second child, Allie. Um, And the way that came about was that I I remember standing in my closet after I gave birth to her, and she was maybe about three months old at the time. I had her in one arm, and Brooke was just a a little toddler. She was at my feet, and I was looking at all my clothes, you know, thinking, can't fit in this. I look terrible in that. Can't wear that. You know, just beating myself up. And I remember thinking... I lead Bible studies, and the God I teach about says you can have life and life abundantly. This is not abundant life. This is prison, and I need a jailbreak. That's what I said. I said that out loud, and I put the kids in the car, and I drove to one of the few Christian bookstores that was in the New York, New Jersey area at the time. Bobby was a shortstop for the Yankees, and uh, I found one book, one little book on the topic because there just really wasn't a lot said about that back then. The book was called The Diet Alternative. It wasn't a great book, but she had this amazing concept in there about gluttony. I'd never even thought of that word, but when I looked at gluttony through the lens that she explained and kind of through this this problem, um, the sin problem that I had of independence of God, trying to do all this on my own, um, I was gluttonous towards food, whether I was overeating or undereating. And I would always cycle in and out of both of those. And I was always thinking about food. It was on my mind 24-7, whether I was beating myself up about what I wasn't eating, planning what I was going to eat, what I wasn't going to eat. I mean, it was, it was always on my mind. And I just knew this wasn't the way that Jesus said I could have abundant life. And so from that, I started to take a lot of notes. I started to study the word on the topic. And I started to teach a class actually way back then called Scriptural Eating. What a horrible name. 
it's since become my first book, uh, Truly Fed. But I, I started to seek freedom, not dieting, not white knuckling, not more control. I knew that Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We know Jesus is not a liar. So it, it said to me either I can, the word said to me either I can pursue freedom and figure this out with food, or I'm going to live in this ugly place, fake, like I was so used to living pre-Jesus, pretending like I'm okay on the outside, but not okay on the inside. And I said, I will not do that. So I sought freedom. I, I did everything I could to dig into the word and find out what God had to say about food and freedom and habits and compulsion and behaviors. And really, you know, 20 years later, you know, my desire was always to write books. Cassie, you know me very well. It took 20 years for me to get my first book published. And I've been blessed to be able to write eight books. But my very first one was called Truly Fed, Finding Freedom from Compulsive Eating. And that was it. I mean, that little book is still the little engine that could. I'm still giving those books out. It's still selling on Amazon because I think people are sick of the control that, that they can't maintain. You know, we're, we're built for freedom. We're built to live in a very normal freeway with food where we eat and we're satisfied. We eat and we're satisfied and we're thinking of other things. But so often people live in such a prison now where they eat, but they're not satisfied. So they keep stuffing themselves or they over manage it. They over manipulate it where it becomes a compulsion in and of itself, you know, to diet more, work out more, be such a slave to, you know, whatever is the current, you know, fabulous thing that everyone's doing. And so for me, I knew there was a different way. And that's what I sought out to find. And that's what I write about. So when you were in those early days searching for freedom, do you remember anything that would help you in moments where I imagine there were moments where it felt kind of helpless or hopeless, where you're searching for freedom, but not fully free yet. Was there anything you would tell yourself then or anything you can remember? Would you go straight to scripture or what in those moments when you felt like, I know I'm not fully free yet, but I really want to be, and I know it's possible. Is there anything that you would tell yourself or do in those moments? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, So many things. Uh, But one that comes to my mind is, you know, there's a scripture a scripture in Galatians that says, um, God will not be mocked. It says we reap what we sow. When we sow to life, excuse me, when we sow to the spirit, we reap life. When we sow to the flesh, we reap destruction. And so I really sat with that and I thought, okay, this whole concept of sowing, Jesus talks so much about it. The Bible talks so much about it. This sowing, this planting of seeds, you know? And so I, I really, I talk about this so much more um, in, in my writing, but I talk about flesh seeds and spirit seeds. And I wrote these out and, and I noticed what were my flesh seeds when I was sowing to the flesh, what that looked like and what were my spirit seeds when I was sowing to the spirit. So let me give you my first example. I remember when my girls were just little in in preschool, um, very small, I think two years old and three years old. And I would take them a couple days a week to this little YMCA preschool. 
They were only gone two and a half hours, but some of the first seeds that I sowed to the Lord when I really was getting it down on paper and really going after freedom was that two and a half hours because I realized I would drop them off for preschool. I'd come home. I'd eat my way through the time they were at school. And you know, half the time I was eating, I wasn't even aware I was eating. It's handfuls of goldfish, <laughs> crackers, not yeah. real goldfish, <laughs> you know, cookies or or going by a bag of pretzels and grabbing a handful or scoops of this or that, or, you know, drinking a big whatever. And, and, you know, by the time I would pick them up and then it would be time for lunch, I had eaten my way all the way from breakfast to lunch, you know, and, and never sat down to a normal meal because I was never hungry because I was always grabbing food in some way or another. And I remember offering that as my first seed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm going to offer this as seed to you, as if I'm putting it in my hands, then I'm going to put it in the ground. And this is for you, Lord God, this seed from nine o'clock to 1130, I'm not eating. And in that time, instead of eating, I'm going to fill my mind with worship. I'm going to walk around and fill it with gratitude, with praise. I'm going to walk around my house. I'm going to get things done. I'm going to uh, truly just thank you the whole time. Then I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to go get my girls. I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to eat a normal lunch with them actually feeling hungry. you know. And so this was my very first seed that I gave to the Lord. And I remember like the first week or two of doing it, I'd be, I just was like, wow, this is a great feeling. Like who can't go two and a half hours without eating food? Well, for me, that was really a challenge at first, but that was a seed. And then I started adding more seed. I added when I would cook dinner at night. Okay. So from five to five 30, whatever I'm making, I'm not going to be shoveling food in my mouth as I'm making a meal and then not eating with my family because I'm not hungry. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to offer this as seed. So that was a second kind of seed. This is embarrassing cast. I remember the third seed I offered to the Lord. Woo. I haven't thought of this in a long time, but I was so compulsive and so rigid in a lot of my thinking. I would overeat things, but I would not allow myself a bite of sugar. For seven years, I did not allow myself a bite of sugar. But see, compulsion's weird, and the enemy's weird. He twists things, and he lies about things, and we get weird in our heads, whether it's about habits of food, or it could be all kinds of things, relationships, you know, things you think people have said about you, offense, resentment, whatever, you know, the lies start to well in your head. So I had all this weird thinking about sugar and I had this fear of sugar, even though I was overeating every other kind of food imaginable, I would not, I would not touch sugar. So after some success with sowing seed to the Lord and really sitting on that scripture in Galatians, I started to think about my thoughts around sugar. And I felt like the Lord was like, I want you to offer sugar to me as a seed. That sounds weird. Most people are trying to get away from sugar. I needed to actually ingest some because I was so fearful of it, yet I was overeating other things. So I remember buying these blueberry muffins, and it, it sounds ridiculous, I mean, but I would never allow myself to eat anything like that. And I call it the battle of the blueberry muffin. I cut it in half, and I remember <laughs> it's sitting in my hand. My hand was shaking. I'm like, Lord, I'm offering this to you as seed. I'm not going to eat a dozen of them. I'm not going to eat them till I feel sick. I'm going to eat a half, maybe even just a few bites. 
whatever makes me feel satisfied. I ate about a half of a half. It was so delicious. I wrapped up the rest. I put it in the refrigerator. I said, maybe I'll eat that later or maybe not. That's what a normal person would do. I'm not going to obsess about these muffins sitting in the cabinet. No. And honestly, that was such a breakthrough for me. I, I remember thinking, this is how it feels to be normal wow. with food. And you know, people would talk about, oh, I forgot to eat lunch or I was so tired. I didn't eat anything. I went straight to bed. I never could imagine that, that way of thinking. And as I continued to sow seed to the Lord and spirit seeds so that my, my spirit was growing and nourished. Often, cast what we really want is intimacy with God. We don't want food. We don't want compulsion. We want intimacy with God. But we're, we're so used to the lies. Um, and as I started to see the spirit seeds well up and such fruit growing in my life, you know, I just could not keep quiet about it. I wanted everyone to know that they could be free. And that's really, you know, since then, I was mentioning the first book I wrote was Truly Fed. Um, but I've since written two others. One's called Be Free and one's called Beyond Free. And they're, they're in-depth Bible studies um, through First Place for Health, an org that I love, a Christian Christ-centered um, program for people struggling with issues around food. I've seen the freedom of God. You know God's always about freedom. What was some of his first cries over his people? Let my people go. And the enemy's always trying to bind us, whether it's in our thinking, our behaving, whether it's the way we see ourselves, the way we see others. He's always trying to put us into some kind of a jail. But God has a prison break for any of your listeners today. He has a jail break. And he will tailor it to them and to their lives and their problems. But we have to, to see things through the lens of freedom. And that's, that's really what he did for me. He taught me how, how to start. I started with just sowing seeds to the Spirit. And that was one of my first strategies. I have a bunch of other strategies, you know, that I write about. Yeah, I was cheering up as you're talking because you're talking about each seed going through the three. I love that the Lord, he goes to every single area that we need to be free in and he'll walk us through that freedom. I love that he leaves no stone unturned. You know, he'll go to every little area that we need in our mind or habits that we have that aren't right or whatever to help us get free when we're desiring that. And I think that's what it takes first is you desire to be free. Right. You have to know that you're not free to want to be free. And then when you want to be free, you'll actually be motivated to get free, right? That's it, Cass. And you know, one thing I remember in myself, and I hear women or men say this all the time, they're like, I've begged God to be free. But then there's those moments in the midst of a binge, in the midst of throwing up over a toilet, in the midst of starving themselves or going out to run when they know they shouldn't run right now because their body is hurting and aching, right? Mm -hmm. In the midst of, I always say, invite God in and sow a seed in the midst of. If you're hanging over a toilet or you're in the middle of a binge, see, that's when we try to keep God out And I love, um, one of my favorite authors, his definition of sin is emphatic independence of God. Deliberate, he says, and emphatic independence of God. The enemy is always trying to make us live independent of God, but God is 
always wanting to be present in all our moments. So even if you might say, yeah, but I didn't desire to be free as I was pounding that drive-through from, you know, Taco Bell or whatever, and I was pounding it and eating as much as I could. Then in those moments after when you're done, you feel so miserable and awful that, see, that's the enemy. God says, invite me in the middle of that. Sow a seed in the middle of it, you know, because we're not going to be perfect with this freedom journey. You know, there's going to be times where we, we have our ups and downs. We have our ebb and flow. Even me now, Cass, I, I've been free for 34 years. I, I mark the years of Allie's life um, as the years that I, I got free. I, I started to get free when she was a baby and Brookie was a toddler and um, have truly lived free since then. And that doesn't mean that the enemy hasn't tried to confuse me at times or, you know, I went through a whole nother pregnancy where I gained a lot of weight in my pregnancy uh, with Colton, my third child. But afterwards, through sowing seed, I was able to lose that weight and see myself, you know, uh, as God sees me, even as an older woman, you know, as you mature and your body changes through each stage of life, I've, I've been able to stay my life weight. And that was a weight that I asked God about. Why in the world are we thinking we have to be some chart you know, some number on a chart. I prayed. I asked God, what weight do you think I'm best at? What weight will I be most proud to live my life in, in this body? And I asked him and a number really did come to me. And, you know, except for those few times when you're up and down a few pounds due to your period or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, happens. I, I have stayed that weight and it's a weight I'm very happy at. And, you know, this is decades of, of freedom. And I often say, Hey, you know, I want to listen to somebody that has walked out what they're saying over a period of time. Yeah. Anybody can flash up, write a book, do a talk, do a podcast or do something, you know, in a quick flash. And we want to follow because we want to believe what they're saying is true. But I'm saying uh, to your listeners, you know, and obviously to you, Cass, you've known me for a long time. Freedom is possible. It's real. I've walked this out for decades now. This is not a flashy, quick, gimmicky topic. This is a deep, deep place of healing in our lives. And if Jesus didn't mean it for us, he wouldn't have promised it because he is not a giver of false promises. And you're talking to anybody that's imprisoned by anything. It's not just food-related issues. If you've got anxiety, depression, anything, freedom is possible. That's right. And the same principles hold of sowing seed to the spirit for life, you know, rather than to the flesh for death. Sometimes just the way we speak, the way we talk, what comes out of our mouths, you know, uh, the way we learn to manage our thinking, our moods. You know, I've had to learn to really manage this and you know, it's really winning, as Joyce Meyer says, the battle of our minds. You know, it really, it starts there. That's where the enemy it has his most fertile ground. And it plays out in our hands, our feet, our mouths, our tongues, our stomachs. But it starts in our mind. Every destructive thing we've ever thought or done starts from the enemy as either a lie or a distortion of truth. And then it plays out in that way. So the opposite of that is every victory plays out in our minds. So like you said, anything that we might feel bound to, anything can be overcome 
by the truth of what Jesus offers and the truth of his love and his power. So this might sound like a silly question, but what I'm thinking is, um, why do you think that's worth it for someone to not just manage symptoms? Because sometimes that could be easier, but why do you think it's worth it to put in the hard work to really let God free you? I mean, you've tasted freedom. You know freedom. Why is that worth it? Mm. Oh, that's a great a great question. Why is it worth it? Well, because, you know, when you say manage it, some people manage it. No one manages it. No one manages it well. It will either manage you mm. or you'll get tired and you'll give up. Mm. One of the two. So I've never seen anyone managing things well for long periods of time. Anyone can do something and let's say, for instance, lose weight. Anyone can lose weight. If they follow a program to a T, I mean, my gosh, a monkey could lose weight. If, you know, it's just following something to a T. Anyone, it doesn't even really matter what you're following. You can lose weight if you follow something to a T. The problem is when do you start um, eating normally after following that program or getting sick of it, tired of it, not wanting to live that way anymore? You know, what happens to you then? when you don't have a strategy or a rule to follow anymore, you know, what happens usually is people end up worse off than they were before um, because they haven't made a life change. They've just made a habit change. And it, see, that's the difference. Jesus says, I've come so you can have life and life abundantly and you'll know truth and the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be in a state of knowing right? He says, you'll know truth. Well, we have to be in a posture, in a state to know truth. And as we know truth, it may, you know, eating issues are just symptoms of other issues. For me, it was symptoms of the greater wounds of mm-hmm. insecurity, not feeling loved, feeling just like garbage, you know, discarded from the way I was raised and those kind of things. And so, you know, usually food is just a symptom where we're shoveling it in to cover something else up. So once you get the symptom out of the way from truth, knowing truth and, and moving towards freedom, then you get to the deeper issues. And in my life, I've seen layer upon layer upon layer healed from the inside out. Food was just the exterior. You know, it was, it was the diversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once that was out of the way, God was able to do his amazing surgical <laughs> process of of pinpointing things and just setting me free in all these areas but you know the journey is is part of it you know and and that's why I love that you're doing your podcast because the more we're sharing our stages with someone you know for me it was writing the books i i want everyone to know this is possible for them you know uh however you can share that with other people is so necessary because the isolation is deadening. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just too hard. Mm -hmm. And so to know that Jesus offers these promises and it is worth it. Wow. Think about it. I'd rather live free than white knuckling it Mm -hmm. or free than giving up and just saying, I don't care. Cause we do care. Yeah. We do care. Every time we get dressed, we care. And you truly don't have peace the other way. Exactly. Exactly. And you want peace. Who doesn't want peace? <laughs> Who doesn't want peace? That's yeah. right. That's, That's right. so good. So I kind of want to segue and ask you, were you able to forgive your family from wounds that were caused? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, 
forgiveness is is costly. Obviously, it cost Jesus everything on the cross. Um, I I learned to forgive both my dad and my mom. My dad, I actually got to lead to the Lord, uh, which was such a beautiful thing. And that's a whole that's incredible another story for another podcast that would take a long time to explain that whole story. But uh, you know, I thought God was going to heal his lakes, and he was really the first person that I uh, loved with the love of Christ after I came to know Jesus so dramatically in college. And what God did instead of, instead of healing his legs is he healed his life. He healed his spirit. My dad was holding so much guilt from the night of his accident, and I got to lead him to that forgiveness. And he um, you know, gave me away on my wedding from his wow. wheelchair, and we, we ended up having a, a, a very good relationship. And he passed away a few years ago, but I know that he's on full restored legs in heaven. It's incredible. And it's an incredible thing. My mom was a little bit harder. Um, my mom quit drinking when I went, um, well, actually when I went away to college. So I did not know her as not an alcoholic. You know, I mean, I only knew her as an alcoholic. So it took her a lot of years to change from some of her behaviors that were so destructive to me. Even though she wasn't drinking um, while I was in college, she was still healing from a lot of destructive behavior. And so there were times in my adult life where I had to set some real strong boundaries with my mom um, because I saw it trigger things in me that were unhealthy. And so there were times in my life with her that I, I, I couldn't interact with her a whole lot. It had to be very surface. Um, but as she got more and more well in her own life, she's actually become a leader in AA. I'm so, so proud of her. We now have a delightful relationship. She's in her 80s now, so she's, she's older, but she is truly delightful. She truly supports me and and speaks words from God over me. Wow. Yeah. So she's so a believer now too. She is. She is. And it was definitely a long process, you know, for her and I. I can't say that was an overnight thing. That was more um, gradual with good boundaries mm-hmm. in place. But I absolutely adore her now. And, you know, just I'm so thankful that God's given us these years that I get to have this relationship with her now and she gets to see the fruit of my life and you know the fruit of what God's done in in all of this yeah well I know you've seen God do miracles obviously in your story that you just shared in your own life but on the ground in Uganda here with your family so many in your life um what would you just offer one last bit of encouragement to anyone that feels like they're in a hopeless situation whether that's physical mental emotional is there any encouragement, just one last like bit of hope you could give to anyone that needs freedom? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I would say, you know, people always say to me, Gary, I pray about it all the time. I just don't think God, I don't think God's answering my prayer. And I would say this to anybody listening, God always answers prayer, always, one of three ways. Sometimes he'll say yes. That means doors open, you know the path, it's clear, you see it, walk through it. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Sometimes God will say no to you in your life for some reason. And if he gives you a no, it's always for one of two reasons. Either he's protecting you from something 
or he has something better than even you're praying for. It's always one of those two reasons. It's not because he's trying to keep you from something good. Sometimes God is saying, not yet, but coming soon. Not yet, but coming soon. That's where often we give up, you know? Like, I tried to pray about this. I tried to eat better. I tried to do this or that. Whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about food. That's why I'm thinking of it. You know, God is, is always leading us towards good. Everything about him is good. Everything about him is peace. So, you know, if you don't see freedom yet, I would say keep in it, stay in it, stay in the process, fight the good fight, keep sowing the good seeds to the spirit, you know, because it's, it, it's coming. And actually I had to start saying I was free long before I felt like I was free. I started saying, I'm free. I'm free. I would walk around just to myself in the house. I'm free. I'm free. And my big phrase was, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. I'd say it probably a hundred times a day. I don't do that anymore. And I started to see the fruit of what I was saying become the reality of what I was living. And so I would really just encourage everybody, listen, God answers everything. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, or not yet, but coming soon. And stay in the battle because God has victory. He wouldn't have promised freedom if it wasn't possible. So good. So good. Thank you for sharing your story. You're a woman that knows all about perseverance and staying in. And I'm just so grateful to just hear your wise words. Thank you for sharing. They're really encouraging. And I know that the Lord is just, he's done so much in your life and you live for him and it's incredible and inspiring. I could talk about you all night, but thank you, Gary. Thanks, Kaz. It's such a pleasure. So my last fun question, I kind of told you, I ask all of my guests is if you could sit down with someone from the past or present and hear their God stories, who would it be and why? Wow. Yeah. When you texted me that question, I kind of knew right away. I mean, obviously there's so many Bible characters. You know, I'm such a lover of the word of God yes. and I am a big firm believer of having them in picture frames around my house. <laughs> like I, so they're like part of my family, all the characters in the Bible, but there is one man. Um, I quote him all the time in my writing and my speaking on our own podcast, uh, that, that I do. I, I just find that I'm absolutely in love with everything he says and no one teaches me like him his name is oswald chambers and he was a writer in the early 1900s and um he died really in in his 40s unexpectedly from a burst appendix but his wife went on to take so many of his sermons and writings and put them into compilations of of books that i pour over every single day i do his devotional Nobody teaches me like Oswald. And there's so many times where I'll be in a situation and I'll think about something he said, and I cannot wait to be in heaven one day and just sit down and just talk to him, you know? But it's so interesting to me because his life was shorter on earth because God had eternity planned in the words that he would write, that his wife would have the courage and the tenacity and the grit to transpose and put into digestible books that have changed the lives of people like me forever. And there's no one that I would rather sit down 
and have a conversation with probably than than Oswald Chambers. That's incredible. Yeah. I'll put his his book in the show notes and you guys go check out Gary's books as well. I'll put the links to the ones you mentioned in the show notes. Thanks for being on today with me on God Stories. Oh, thanks so much, Cassie. Love you so much. Love you. Friends, thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, I would love if you could share it with a friend. If you could give a rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast, that would be amazing. That way, when other friends come across it, they know to listen too. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at God Stories with Cassie. Love you guys so much. Have a great day.